So in the last couple of weeks, I've realized I've bitten off a little bit more than I could chew. And all the work and my new job and my business were all actually starting to pile up on me. And I wasn't handling it super well. I took myself off to my apartment in town. My tenants had just left and I got to have the place to myself for a whole night. And I had the best sleep ever. And I woke up on my birthday feeling like a rock star and able to handle it all. And in this podcast, I want to share with you how I managed to turn that pretty stressful, somewhat anxious time around. So let's dive in. Welcome to Untapped, a weekly podcast where you can learn, apply and share how to go beyond your human potential to live your best possible life. Join me, Natalie Sisson, on my personal challenges and experiments, including training for triathlons, as well as my interviews with inspiring everyday people who've pushed through their own mental, physical, and entrepreneurial boundaries to reach their full potential. All right, so the topic of today is how to untap your potential when it comes to being superwoman or superman, or more rather, it is about how to not try and be a superhero all the time, and how to avoid procrastinating when what you really need to do is take action. So I actually just want to cast you back around eight to 10 days ago, when I realized that not only did I have this four day a week job that I was really enjoying, but was starting to become uh, kind of more intense as I delve more into it, learn more, and I'm actually able to contribute more. On top of that, I had my business goals that I set in my one page business plan that you can find in the previous episode, plus my free template for that. And I was really clear on those goals. But now I obviously had some pretty big deliverables to make those come true. And then as well as that, I picked up two contracts kind of because I I really, really want to work with these amazing companies and they need my communication and marketing skills. But all of this came through pretty much around the same time. And then some coaching clients kind of came out of the closet and wanted to work with me again. Now, this, you might be thinking, is a case of me having an inability to say no, but I have done a really great vlog on the power of saying no. So I am very, very clear on what I say yes to and no to. It just so happens that all of these opportunities were in my mind quite big yeses. So I might have been trying to be a bit of a superhero taking them on, but I also knew that if I managed my time and my attitude and my energy right, I could do this. A lot of them were short term projects. And I also knew they'd make a huge impact to the businesses that I'm wanting to support. And I really believe in them. So I didn't want to step away from not being able to help them out. They've come to me for my expertise and my experience. I can do this. I know this stuff. I know that by adding value to them, I can make a huge impact. So those are my kind of absolute yes moments. But now it's about managing my time. And I found myself procrastinating, which is pretty rare for me. So I was doing some things, but I was also just putting off more and more doing these bigger things. Now, partly that's because I frankly just did not have as much time. Still getting used to the schedule of working throughout the day. I was still very much advocating for no work in the evening and no work on the weekends. And then I realized I was probably being a little stubborn on that point because one to two hours, one or two evenings a week before dinner, or before I go and read or chill out and have fun reconnection time with my man or my friends, there was definitely time there for me to work on some pretty key projects, reduce my stress and anxiety around what I wasn't doing, and ship some really great work. 
So I reclaimed a couple of hours on a couple of evening nights. And the minute I started taking action, I felt better. And I realized that what I had on my plate, while, you know, large-ish, and it may sound ridiculous to you, was totally doable. It's just that I had to take the first step. I know I was watching a video last week by Mel Robbins, who I really like, and it's titled The Reason You Procrastinate, It's Not What You Think. And in it, she talks about the fact that procrastination is actually just a form of stress. Now, I really like her video because what she gets to the point of is that it stresses you out the more that you don't do anything. And so you tend to procrastinate more and more, even though you know that by procrastinating, you're going to become more stressed. And her answer to this is to just use her five second rule, five, four, three, two, take action and just start on it. Because the minute you start on it, you infinitely feel better because you are now making progress. Now, this may all be well and true, and I believe it is, but it still takes a lot to start. I'm a big starter and finisher of things. And even for me, I frankly wasn't sitting down and just making that time to start. And when I did, I felt instantly better. But I wanted to get even deeper into the reason why it took a while for me to do that and why it takes you probably some time to actually finally make that move and just start doing one little piece of that task or project or piece of work to actually feel better. And I was reading a New York Times article on why you procrastinate. And this one was titled, It Has Nothing to Do With Self-Control which was also a really interesting read because I think sometimes we think we're procrastinating because we're lazy when you and I know that we're not because when we're procrastinating, we're actually doing something really awesome. Like we might be Marie Kondoing our wardrobe like I did recently, or we might be cleaning something up or we might be managing our space or we might be quickly, you know, going to the bank and doing some errands. People don't actually go to the bank anymore today. They don't here in New Zealand. All the banks have turned into like co-working cafes. So my point was you do errands and you actually achieve stuff that is useful and you have been meaning to do, but it's got nothing to do with that big piece of important work that is actually stressing you out. And this article by Charlotte Lieberman was fascinating because procrastination is not about laziness. It is actually about emotions. Stick with me on this. It's really, really fascinating. It's about emotions because we procrastinate to relieve ourselves from how shitty we're going to feel by not doing that thing. So we are stressed out. We are worried. We are feeling like we're maybe not capable of it. We don't have a lot of belief in ourselves. We may have self-doubt. We might be anxious. We might be feeling inadequate. And that makes us procrastinate because we don't want to do that thing, that task, because of those feelings and emotions. The problem is, is that when we procrastinate, it makes us feel really rotten, because we know we're inevitably putting off what is going to be more pain at the other end of this if we don't do it. So there's this professor of psychology at the University of Sheffield, who states that, yes, this is why we say that procrastination is essentially irrational. It doesn't make sense to do something you know is going to have negative consequences. So why do we get into this terrible irrational cycle of chronic procrastination? And Dr. Fuchsia Sorois, I hope I'm saying that right, says it's because of an inability to manage negative moods around a task. Isn't that fascinating? I haven't seen any research before related to the fact that we procrastinate because of bad moods. So 
often the moods that we're trying to cope with are boredom, anxiety, insecurity, frustration, resentment, self-doubt, as I said. So that actually makes procrastination an emotion regulation problem, not a time management problem, which is fascinating because we can totally be in control of our emotions when we work at it. So what happens is we get more focused on the immediate urgency of managing our negative moods than with getting on with the task, which led me to think about how we could get in the right mood before creating a task and how that would actually help us avoid procrastination. And that's often because something is going to be inherently unpleasant about the task that we know we need to do. Or, as I mentioned, some of those things before, self-doubt and security, anxiety. You might be needing to write a blog post and you're staring at this blank screen going, oh, I just, I'm not capable of writing this. I'm not a good enough writer. This isn't going to be very good. And this then puts us into this mood of, okay, I'm just not going to even attempt this. And instead, I'm going to go and do this thing over here and clean up because, It just feels like it's a better use of my time. But this then just gives you more negative emotions because once again, you haven't completed the task. So now you're more stressed and more anxious and you're feeling even worse and you've got a lot of self-blame. So we get into this whole chronic cycle of blaming ourselves, of feeling rotten and of actually still not shipping and doing the work. So the main way to overcome this is to learn new strategies for controlling and managing our emotions and that's because our brains are always looking at ways that we can reward ourselves so I've talked about habit stacking in previous podcasts and I'll link to it in the show notes for this one which you should be able to see below if you're on an iPhone or whatever device but otherwise you can come across to nataliesisson.com forward slash 014 where I've linked to the previous podcasts I've been talking about this article and Mel Robbins video So our brains are looking for these relative rewards. So we have a habit loop around procrastination until we find a better reward. And this was something that I found really fascinating. So the reason why we continue to procrastinate is it gives us just a little relief from our emotions in that moment, just a little relief and enough that when we go to procrastinate again, we remember that little bit of relief and that little bit of reward. So what we need to do is break that. We need to give our brain a bigger, better offer. This is what I love that Dr. Brewer in this article calls it, the BBO. And so we need to find a better reward than avoidance of the work that we're wanting to do. One that can relieve our challenging feelings in the present moment without causing any harm to our future selves. So we're basically breaking the addiction of procrastination because it's really an addiction to these terrible emotions and feelings that we have. And there's quite a few ways to do that. And I'm going to share with you the first three that they talk about, which are ones that I honestly struggle with. So the first one is about forgiving yourself in the moment that you procrastinate. So rather than going, oh God, Natalie, you're doing it again. You're procrastinating. You suck. This is uh," is actually just forgiving yourself. And they did some research in in a study, which was about nine years ago. They surely must have more recent studies. But they found that students were able to forgive themselves for procrastinating. That They found that students who were able to forgive themselves for procrastinating when studying for their first exam ended up procrastinating less when they studied for their next one. And then that moved into this nice positive cycle 
of being able to move past procrastination and forgiving themselves each time. And so it became easier to just get in there and do the task. In this case, it was a study. The second tactic that they suggest you do is practice a little self-compassion, which is not something that I'm very good at doing. Josh is great at telling me to be kinder to myself, to go easy on myself, to actually look at all the reality of the picture that I'm faced with and look at what I've already done and give myself a little bit of a break rather than going, yeah, but I didn't achieve this, this or this. So that is the act of treating ourselves with kindness and just understanding in the face of our mistakes and failures rather than giving ourselves a hard time. All right. So we've got self-forgiveness. We've got self-compassion. And they've interestingly, they've found in studies that self-compassion supports motivation and personal growth. This is huge. This is huge stuff. It decreases your stress. It enhances your feelings of self-worth. It boosts your motivation. It fosters positive emotions. And best of all, it doesn't actually require anything external. You just get to commit to meet your challenges with more kindness and acceptance rather than berating yourself. And then there's just a couple more things that we can all do to be, I guess, managing our emotions in a healthier way and avoiding procrastinating. One is around cultivating curiosity. So if you're feeling tempted to procrastinate, then you should bring your attention to what the sensations are arising in your mind and body. So why are these feelings there? What's triggering these Where do you feel them in your body? What is it reminding you of? Has this happened before? If you actually look at procrastination, if you can turn it into this sort of floating thing in the sky or just right outside of your body, what does it look like? What do you observe? I don't know if you listened to my other podcast, which was around silencing your inner critic, but in that I actually took my inner critic out of my head and I placed it across from me as if it was a person and I observed it. Did it have a strong voice? Was it yelling at me? Was it whispering at me? Was it consistently in my face? Like, And the minute I was able to give it a more human form, it was much easier to deal with the inner critic and go, huh, you can go away now, thank you. I acknowledge you, I observe you, but I don't need you. The same kind of happens with procrastination. If you can give it a sense and a form, it's going to kind of pull it out of your body and out of your mind, humanize it and allow you to deal with it in a more objective way. And the next thing they suggest to do is to consider your next action. So let's say you've managed to go, okay, I'm finally going to stop procrastinating and just going to take my first action. The way to do this is to bite size it into chunks. And we all know this stuff. Oh my God, I can't believe how many times I tell my clients this, but that's why I love doing Pomodoro sessions of 20 to 25 minutes focusing on one task. So if I'm looking at recording my audiobook, I don't think about recording my entire audiobook in one setting. I've already recorded the first two chapters. All I want to do the next time I sit in front of this microphone in my little acoustic corner of my studio, I want to simply record the next chapter. And I know that by doing that, that'll maybe take me 25 to 30 minutes. If I was trying to record the whole book, I know it's hours out and I just don't feel like that's going to be the best use of my time. And that I would procrastinate on. Yet just recording one chapter, easy. And from there, of course, you can go and you can do the next one and the next one. But in the moment, all you're asking yourself to do is one thing. And the final action that they suggest you do, which I've talked about also a little bit before with habit and rewards after reading James Clear's Atomic Habits book, which I highly recommend, is to make your temptations really inconvenient. So I recently took Facebook and Messenger 
off my phone so that I couldn't dabble in those. I wasn't actually spending much time on them, but I knew that if they were on my phone, I would be far more likely to be communicating with people and messaging and also doing some scrolling when actually what I wanted to do was put the phone away and work on the thing in front of me. And so by making it more inconvenient, I now have to log on on my laptop and often I don't do that because it's just not a place that I usually access it from. And then I have to think about where I'm going to get the photos from my phone over to there so I can put them up. So it's just made me less inclined to want to use it or use it more strategically. So I've made it less rewarding for these bad temptations to get in the way of me actually doing the thing that I know is so important. So you just really need to place an obstacle between you and the thing that is going to make you not turn up and do the work. That may also be, for example, turning off Wi-Fi at a certain time of the night so that you can focus on writing or doing something offline like a presentation or a report or creating that new opt-in lead magnet. So when you're offline, you know that you just only have the tools to focus and write and produce. You can't dabble around on social media. You can't get distracted on these frustrating things that are proving too tempting for you to avoid, like watching cat videos. And the flip of making those temptations less convenient is to make the things you want to do as easy as possible. So an example of that is making exercise an absolute priority by putting out your exercise shoes, top pants right by the door so that you know when you're going out, you're going to put them on first thing in the morning and go on that run. Or you're going to take them and put them in a bag, take them to work with you and know that you're going to then get to the gym because you bought your workout gear. When it comes to a working environment, it's setting up a clean slate the night before, putting your laptop there and maybe a journal, a piece of paper and having a list on your laptop or even a sticky note that says, here's the one thing that I want to start with in the morning. That makes it really easy for you to come in and focus and not get distracted and procrastinate. So that's my kind of summation of why procrastination is actually an emotional management problem, not a time management problem. And I love that reframe so much because it really just makes you appreciate that we have the ability to control our emotions. We also have the ability to use time as effectively as we can, but it starts with really getting clear on what it is that you want to be doing, why that's important. And then when you're telling yourself off or doubting yourself or getting stressed, being able to shift out of that emotional aspect into just doing and knowing that that is going to give you the reward right then and there of achieving and that you're going to want to continue that positive cycle of doing the work. I hope you found this really useful. This is all part of optimizing you and your life and your work through my podcast and vlogs. So thank you so much for listening to Untapped. I hope that you are tapping into your potential. I hope that you are moving away from the things that you procrastinate on. And I hope that with these tips that you've now got from this podcast and this fantastic article on New York Times, remember I've linked to it in the show notes, that you will be able to do more of the important work that matters in life because that's what we are here to do. I'm Natalie Sisson. It's been my honor and pleasure. If you have enjoyed this, please just share it with a friend. Tell them about this episode. Give them the link or just tell them to subscribe to Untapped. If you want to show even a little bit more love, come across to nataliesisson.com forward slash love. Give a little donation. Shout me a little coffee. And uh, I'd really appreciate it. It all goes towards creating the content, the research, and putting the show together and releasing it to you week after week. You are the best 
Now go tap into your potential.